Well, we are continuing our series today in Matthew's Gospel, and we're picking up kind of where we left off last week in Matthew chapter 16. You might remember last week, if you were here or if you listened to it online, that we saw last week that even in the face of kind of opposition to the Gospel, of kind of blind unbelief about Jesus, even in the face of that, God graciously revealed himself. Uh, to Peter and the disciples, and they, they saw Jesus clearly for who he was, the Messiah, God's true King. And it was a, a passage that, as we saw, uh, gave us a real hope, hope uh, in our desire to see more and more people join us uh, at DPC as followers of Jesus, being part of the kingdom with us. And I reckon it gave us a, a real confidence in our role as the church uh, in God's mission. This week, as we jump back into chapter 16, we are going to see Jesus kind of focus in now on his disciples. What he wants to see is for them to to see what it really means for him to be the king, the Messiah. And that for him to be the king and the Messiah is going to mean radical and kind of confronting things for them as his followers. You know, I like to think of myself uh, as a pretty helpful husband. I think if Deanne were here in the room, thankfully she's not, so she can't disagree. But I think, I think she'd agree that I'm pretty helpful around the house, uh, at least in most things, most things. I know uh, when it comes to the washing, uh, there is more than one thing that uh, I think uh, I probably do that annoys Deanne. Uh, when it comes to the washing... Uh, Deanne cannot stand it when anything goes through the wash uh, inside out. Does anybody else care about that? Yep, yeah, there's a few, yeah, okay. I was hoping you'd all say, no, that's silly, She's just, I'm being unreasonable. Uh, can't stand it. If it's a shirt, a, a pair of pants, even just one tiny little sock goes through inside out, it's not on, and so I just tend to have to blame the washing machine and say, oh, like I, it definitely wasn't me, I put it in right, the washing machine must have done that. Uh, <laughs> As we pick up the story in verse 21, uh, Jesus, he's explaining to his disciples uh, about the inside-out nature of his kingship. Now, you might remember last week we saw the disciples, they confessed Jesus as king, as God's true king, the Messiah, Uh, but we kind of hinted at the fact that perhaps the disciples hadn't quite got the full picture of what that meant for Jesus to be king. And so now, as Jesus continues to talk to the disciples, kind of focuses in on them, he starts to lay out the plan of his kingship. From verse 21, Matthew says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus wants to make sure here that Peter understands what kind of Messiah he is following. What sort of king his disciples are pledging their allegiance to. He's a king that does things in a way that we might not expect. A king who will go to Jerusalem, who will suffer at the hands of the religious leaders and authorities. A king who will be killed the king who will also ultimately be raised to life again. This is the way of the king. And for Jesus, it's not just a maybe or a possibility. This, this must 
happen. This is the way of God's Messiah. It's the way, it's the mission that has been laid out for him by his father. This is what kingship will look like for Jesus. In verse 22, Peter, he responds to Jesus. Uh, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. You This way of thinking from Jesus, at least in Peter's eyes, it seems inside out. It's so different to what the disciples kind of must have imagined life would be like and the Messiah's rule would look like. And so Peter strongly, these strong words here, he rebukes Jesus. He kind of shows his, his disapproval of the way that Jesus is speaking about himself. You know, in essence, what Peter says here is, kind of, you know, God forbid that these things would happen to you. This, this can't be what God wants for you. you know, you're the king. You're meant to come in here and kind of kick some rear end and, and take over the place. As far as Peter is concerned, Jesus is God's true king. And now they need to figure out the kind of strategy for him taking over as king. Now that we have the king, how do we get the kingdom? How do we kind of get rid of the the current kings and rulers and the the people who are leading Israel and and kind of getting it all wrong? At the time, there were a bunch of different uh, kind of uh, Jewish political kind of offshoot groups. There were kind of four main ones. Uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that we've kind of heard a bit about already. There's also a, a sect called the Essenes, and the Essenes were a group of people who had kind of just withdrawn from society. They'd moved out of Jerusalem, living this kind of separatist life in the desert so that they couldn't be corrupted by uh, the dodgy leadership. Uh, there was also a group of people called the Zealots, and the Zealots were basically uh, a Jewish militia. And their plan was to overthrow the Roman Empire and bring about God's kingdom by force. This is what was kind of going on around them at the time. And so for Peter and the other disciples, you know, this sort of thing probably seemed like uh, the best way forward. You know, getting a group of people together, marching into Jerusalem, launching a, a surprise attack, taking over the temple and installing Jesus as king. Yeah, that's how God's kingdom will come. That's how we'll get rid of the Romans. And so when Jesus talks about going to Jerusalem, but with suffering and death on the agenda instead of victory, the disciples think Jesus is, is talking nonsense. And Peter basically tells him that much. It's an incredible response from Peter. It's a really strong response from Peter. But it's one that Jesus responds equally as strongly to from verse 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You can imagine being Peter in that moment, can't you? With Jesus just ripping into you in front of everyone. You know, for Peter to suggest that the cross has no place in the king's rule, it's a dangerous and an evil way of thinking. You know, Peter's opposition to the message of the cross here puts him in direct opposition to Jesus, as though Peter were Satan himself. 
It's incredibly strong language. Just a few verses ago, Peter was the the foundation stone that uh, Jesus said he would build his church on, and now he's a stumbling stone on Jesus' path to the cross. A hindrance to the Messiah's mission rather than a hero of the faith. You know, the reason for Peter's opposition here, his opposition, opposition to Jesus' kind of news of suffering and death to come, the reason for that, Jesus says, is that Peter's concern is, is not for God and what he is on about. No, it's about Peter thinking purely in human terms. Peter kind of looking at the world around him and thinking about what will fix their problems right here and now. That's pretty clear he hasn't understood the the kind of bigger picture of what God is doing in the world through Jesus. Jesus rules as king, yes, but his kingship will look different than we might expect. God does things in a way that, that can seem... Uh, really inside out when, when we look at them uh, from our kind of narrow and, and limited human perspective. And yet in reality, uh, it's us who often have things inside out and God who has things right way around. Which is what we see Paul saying to, uh, in his letter to the church in Corinth he says that the message of Christ crucified is a, it's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to everyone else. But for those who are being saved, this message of the cross is the wisdom and power of God for salvation. You know, the, the truth is that the message of the cross is offensive. It's an offensive message. It seems foolish. It seems upside down, inside out, hard to get our heads around. It can be hard for the people who we want to share the gospel with to get their heads around. Now, as I was thinking about this, I remembered the, the words to that great old hymn, the, uh, the Old Rugged Cross. Verse 1, there's some words. It starts off by saying, On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. Verse 2 starts off saying that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction for me. The message of the cross that followers of Jesus proclaim that has this wondrous attraction, it's, it's offensive, it's despised by the world. And so I think at times we might be tempted to, to ask ourselves, you know, should we try to remove some of the offence of the cross? Maybe we should try and water down the message of the cross a little bit to make it a bit more acceptable. You know, maybe we need to make the gospel message a bit more approachable for people. But I reckon we need to take note of Jesus' really strong words to Peter here. If denying the message of the cross causes Jesus to to lump Peter in with Satan, I reckon that's a warning we don't want to miss. And so we need to be careful in our our Christian lives and in our church. We want to be careful that we don't start to think that perhaps our way of thinking about God and about the gospel uh, and about Jesus and his church, perhaps we've got a better way of thinking about it than God does. 
that somehow maybe we can make things seem a bit more uh, appealing by getting rid of the cross. And instead, uh, as a church, as followers of Jesus, keep coming back to the cross and the upside-down nature of the king and his kingdom. Now, for us to, to keep Christ at the centre of our faith in our church is to keep the cross at the centre of our faith in our church. There's no uh, separating the two. Uh, Chris Gardner is a struggling uh, salesman who never gave up trying to find true happiness for himself and his son. He faced many challenges in his life but overcame adversity to succeed above all odds, finding success in his career and a healthy, happy future for his child. A real rags to riches story. That's the uh, plot summary uh, from Google of a movie from 2006 starring Will Smith and his son called The Pursuit of Happiness. Anybody seen it? A couple of people. I reckon this idea, the, the pursuit of happiness, I think most people in our world would say, actually, that's a, that's a pretty good thing for our kind of lives to be about, isn't it? And yet Jesus' words to his disciples here in Matthew chapter 16, they, they seem to suggest a, a really radically different approach to life. And if the claim from Jesus that he as king must go to the cross is kind of uncomfortable and, and even offensive, as Jesus continues to talk to his disciples, what he uh, claims next and tells them next, I reckon, is just as uncomfortable, just as offensive. What he says is that instead of pursuing happiness, Jesus calls those who confess him as king to pursue a cross-centred life, to follow in the footsteps of the crucified king. From verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. You know, first Jesus uh, kind of redefines what it means for him to be the Messiah, for him to be the King, uh, and now he, he takes it a step further as he kind of lays out what life, uh, a life of true discipleship uh, to him will look like. And, and what it means, Jesus says, is denying yourself. You know, giving up your right to kind of pursue a, a life of your own making. Uh, which is, a, uh, of course, it's, a, it's an incredibly uh, massive and costly call for anyone to make. The Christian life, according to Jesus, is a life of self-denial. And to confess Jesus as king in the first place... Uh, to confess Jesus as king is to, to deny ourselves, to admit that we are sinful, that we need a saviour. And to follow Jesus as king, it's also to deny ourselves, to give, our, uh, give up our, our self-centred pursuit of our own happiness above all else and to pursue the cross-shaped way of Jesus. It's a way of life that is costly, that will cost 
everything. And yet Jesus says, will also give us everything. Seeking to avoid the cross of Christ and kind of save your own life, Jesus says, in the end you'll lose it. But for the one who proclaims Jesus as king and gives everything to follow him, in God's grace, they will find true and full life in him. You know, I think as Christians, uh, I'm sure we know this. uh, We've heard it before. But I wonder if it's good for us to kind of keep checking in on on ourselves at times. To keep asking the question of ourselves, you know, where do my allegiances in life really lie? Are they with Jesus, the crucified King? Or perhaps like Peter, maybe I'm more concerned with human things, the things of the world, with the pursuit of my own happiness and fulfilment above all else. Now, of course, this this life of self-denial that Jesus calls his followers to, it doesn't mean that your, your life of following him is a, is a call to be miserable. And if you're not miserable, then you're not quite doing it right. And it's not meant to make us feel guilty about the times when things are going well and, and we're feeling joyful in Jesus. Yeah, absolutely not. We, really, we should be finding our joy in Jesus, contentment as we follow Jesus the King. But perhaps maybe some simple things that we can keep asking ourselves. Things like, do I still say yes to Jesus above everything else? And am I still saying no to sin? Is my life really all about pursuing Jesus, the crucified King, and everything that that entails? Or is all this Jesus stuff kind of just really a, a veneer on the outside and on the inside, really, my life is, is really just a, a pursuit of my own stuff and what I, what I want and what I see as my greatest need above all else. These are really hard questions to ask and to answer. But I reckon if we're to take Jesus' words here seriously, then we need to ask them of ourselves. The call from Jesus to to deny ourselves, to to take up our cross and to follow him as the crucified king. It's It's a hard and a costly call. But Jesus goes on to to show us why it's well and truly worth it. So we head into these last few verses of our passage. What we see is that the choice to either kind of deny Jesus, uh, deny ourselves, sorry, and and follow Jesus as our, our king or to deny Jesus and pursue our own way of life, it's a choice where ultimately we'll get what we want. For followers of Jesus, we have a sure hope that despite the cost of following Jesus here and now, we look forward to the reward of life. The reward for a life given in allegiance to Jesus the King. From verse 26, Jesus says, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? 
Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he'll reward each person according to what they've done. Jesus is the King. Jesus is the King, and when the King comes in glory, those who uh, try to hold on uh, to their lives uh, as if it were the most important thing, those who, who denied him and uh, lived to kind of gain the world and, and soak up every experience and pleasure that the world has to offer, in the end the reward for that will be that you've forfeited the game of life. At the end of history, at the end of the story of history, Jesus wins. The, the king wins and those who are with him, those who are, who are joined to him, they win with him. Graciously given life. And you know, this, this isn't the earnings, that we, something that we earn or we get because of a life well lived, but it's the gracious gift of a merciful king that we have bound ourselves to. The gracious gift of our king. We carry our cross now, but our crown of life is yet to come. The way of the king is the the way of suffering and death on the cross. That's how the king defeats the power of sin and, and brings salvation. But perhaps you know, the disciples missed uh, a few of Jesus' words about what happens in the end. You know, maybe it's easy for us to miss it too. You know, right back at the start, Jesus said that uh, in verse 21, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. The way of the king is suffering and death on a cross, but death and the cross, they're not the end. No, the king will be raised to life in glory, defeating death and its power once and for all. Romans 5, we we read from the Apostle Paul that for the Christian, we have been buried with Christ in his death and will also be raised to life with him. The way of the king doesn't end with the cross, but in glorious resurrection life. That's the hope for the cross-carrying disciple of the king. If you're uh, someone with us here this morning, maybe you you don't follow Jesus, maybe you're still kind of uh, checking out Jesus and and trying to figure out uh, uh, what you think about Jesus. Perhaps you, you find yourself asking, you know, why would I sign up for this kind of life? Why would I want that? Maybe you feel like, actually, my life right now is going okay. Maybe, you know, your pursuit of kind of happiness in life seems to be working out. But, you know, here's the question. If that's all there is, what are you pinning your hope on for the future? For eternity, you know, what would happen if tomorrow you lost absolutely everything? For the one who follows Jesus as king, who kind of gives up their right 
to do life for themselves, who pursues Jesus the King above everything else, even though it's, it's costly right now, our future is tied to his. A future of hope and life forever with our great God. As we come to the end here, I reckon it's important that we kind of uh, we let this part of God's word you know, kind of uh, prod us and, and poke us and, and, and move us towards real life change. You know, it'd be a real shame if we were to walk away from here today and, and kind of just forgot all about uh, what God was saying to us and what God wants to do in us by his word. And so I reckon here's a question that this, a passage like this asks of us that's worth us stopping to think about and meditate on. Here's the question. Are you really convinced that the cross is the centre of what God is doing in the world through Jesus? Are you really convinced that the cross is the centre of what God is doing in the world through Jesus? That the cross of Christ is the kind of engine room of God's mission to see sinners saved and brought into his kingdom. And maybe there there are times when you you find yourself kind of looking for for more, for something else. For something uh, that's maybe a bit new, a, a bit more exciting. Perhaps there's something else that God is doing or is going to do in the world that maybe you just haven't found out about yet. God's word is clear. The cross is it. The cross is everything. As Paul again says, there is nothing else worth knowing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Are you convinced that that's true? It's a question that I, I can't answer for you. And so perhaps there's some reflection that you need to do. Maybe you need to set aside some time this week in the morning, maybe with a cup of tea or coffee, and just to sit and to think and meditate and pray. Maybe you could spend some time kind of meditating on this passage, just reading over it and kind of chewing over it and asking God to help it sink really deep into your heart. Or maybe this morning as you're sitting there, you you already know that there are some things going on in your heart that you need to repent of. As we feel this challenge, I want to end by encouraging you to remember the grace of God to us in Jesus. That our King has lived the the perfect cross-shaped life In his kindness, God has joined us to Jesus that we might share in his death and that we might also share in the incredible hope and life of his resurrection. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, the the message of the cross Lord, if we're honest, even to those of us who may have been following Jesus for a long time, still at times does seem like it's inside out. But Lord, we thank you that, Lord, in your wisdom, it is through the cross, through Jesus, the crucified King, that you have 
made a way for sinners to be saved and brought into your kingdom, for sin and death to be dealt with, as our King went to the cross on our behalf. We praise you that he didn't stay dead, that, Lord, this central truth of the gospel is that our King, our crucified King, is also our risen King. Lord, we want to pray that you would help us to keep the cross at the centre of everything that we are doing and everything that you are doing through us as your people. That we might hear the call from Jesus to deny ourselves and our own desires to to put our own things above him, but that we might deny ourselves, we might give up our right to do things our way, to follow in the steps of our crucified Lord and King Jesus, that, Lord, we might share in his death, we might die to sin and be raised to life with him as well. We pray these things in his name. Amen.